Who taught Menachem Begin to gaze at ruin and rubble in Jerusalem and to see the temple that once was? How was he able to stand in an alleyway at the Western Wall and re-experience, in his mind's eye, the glorious house of God that once was on the mountain above? Welcome to Bible 365, episode 35, Menachem Begin's Yom Kippur. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Let us imagine Yom Kippur in Jerusalem. During the final decade, the temple stood. All of Israel is assembled on the sacred mount, in an edifice whose glory is the wonder of the world. The people's eyes, as one, are upon one man, the high priest, as he begs for forgiveness for his nation. Their exultant cries reach a crescendo as he utters the Almighty's ineffable name, and they join the descendant of Aaron, in pious penitence. Now let us imagine Yom Kippur, Jerusalem, 1943. All the glory that once was is now gone. The narrow courtyard that is the Wailing Wall is filled with fasting people in prayer. The doom of European Jewry seems certain. Never has the temple's destruction seemed more real. All that is allowed to the Jews of Jerusalem is a tiny alleyway adjacent to the western side of the mount. The sun is about to set, the day of days comes to a close, and the worshippers plead for their people in the concluding prayer, which usually ends with the sounding of the shofar. But that is not legally allowed to them. One eyewitness describes what happens next, quote, And then from both sides of the courtyard in streamed British police, armed with rifles and batons, threatening them with their very presence. They had come in the king's name to prevent an illegal act, the blowing of the shofar at the close of the Sabbath of Sabbaths. As the end of the prayer approached, they squeezed further into the mass of worshippers, some even elbowing their way up to the wall. And when in spite of them the shofar was heard, their fury was unrestrained. They set upon the worshippers while prayer was still in progress. They hit out at heads. Batons whistled through the air. Here and there was heard the cry of somebody injured. A song, too, burst forth, Hatikva. Then the police struck out in all directions, and chaos reigned. End quote. This eyewitness was Menachem Begin, who further reflected on what he had seen by writing, quote, These stones are not silent. They do not cry out. They whisper. They speak softly of the house that once stood here, of kings who knelt here once in prayer, of prophets and seers who here declaimed their message, of heroes who fell here dying. And Begin adds, this was the house and this the country which, with its seers and kings and fighters, was ours before the British were a nation. The testimony of these stones, sending out their light across the generations. End quote. Who taught Menachem Begin to gaze at ruin and rubble in Jerusalem and to see the temple that once was? How was he able to stand in an alleyway at the Western Wall and re-experience, in his mind's eye, the glorious house of God that once was on the mountain above? The answer lies in the home in which he was raised, and it cuts to the very heart of how through Leviticus, Jews learned never to forget Jerusalem. Perhaps the most famous temple ritual in the entire Torah occurs on Yom Kippur, on which the high priest enters the Holy of Holies, site of the Ark of the Covenant. The ritual involves both purification and atonement. First, purification. 
though many offerings are brought on that day, perhaps the three most central animals to the rituals that are performed are one bull and two goats. The bull is offered by the high priest on behalf of himself, his family, and his fellow koanim, his fellow priests. And then the two goats are brought forward, and a lottery is performed, which in biblical times inside the temple was a form of divination, of divine designation. Verse 8, And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for Azazel. One goat for God. This means that its blood will be applied in the Holy of Holies. The other goat is designated for Azazel. This word is mysterious, but the common translation scapegoat is, I think, incorrect. One possibility is that Azazel refers to the place to which this other goat will be sent. The high priest, on Yom Kippur, offers incense inside the Holy of Holies, thereby establishing a mystical link with God. He then sprinkles the blood of his own offering and of the goat designated to God in some of the holiest parts of the temple. He then approaches the goat of Azazel and places his hands upon its head. As Professor Jacob Milgram has noted, what is taking place is somewhat similar to what we saw yesterday in our discussion of Tzara'at, where the blood of one bird is used to purify an Israelite, and then the other bird flies away with the impurity. Here, the misdeeds of Israel throughout the year have brought impurity to the temple or tabernacle. The application of the blood in the Holy of Holies and other sacred parts of the temple or tabernacle draws the impurity out of the sacred sphere, and the impurity is then placed upon the other goat, which, like the other bird, bears the impurity of Israel away. Leviticus 16.22 And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The Talmud reports that the goat was taken in temple times into the wilderness and ultimately sent off a precipice. Azazel, then, can refer to the desert or the oblivion into which the animal is sent. This is how the temple is purified. But there is also atonement that occurs here. Repentance. As the high priest stands above the animal, he confesses the sins of Israel, repents on behalf of his people. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. This is striking, as Judaism usually does not have repentance by proxy. For example, when one brings an individual offering of atonement, he or she is obligated to confess before God alone. The priest places the offering on the altar, but he cannot confess for us, nor does the Israelite bringing the offering confess to him. How then can the high priest represent Israel here in the temple on Yom Kippur? The answer lies in an interesting word, a biblical way of speaking about the body politic that is simultaneously social and spiritual. Leviticus 16.5, and from the congregation of the children of Israel, he shall take two goats for a chatat offering. The Hebrew for the congregation of the children of Israel is Adat B'nai Yisrael. A common reference to the Israelites is B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. But Adat, or Eda, congregation, is a word linked in Hebrew to Edut, testimony, witness. For by Joseph Soloveitchik, this term captures the metaphysical unity that can be made manifest in Israel, so that the entire people bears witness to what has happened throughout their history, 
and to all that will come in the future. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, quote, A congregation is a collection of individuals with a single past, a common future, shared aspirations, identical yearnings for a world that is totally good and pleasant, and a singular and harmonious destiny. The beginnings of the congregation are embedded in the tradition of the people's ancestors at the dawn of its existence. Its end is rooted in a common vision of the end of days. The people of the congregation are witnesses to the events that have passed and to the miraculous future that has not yet arrived. The congregation encompasses not only those who are alive today, but everyone who has lived and who will live from the dawn of humanity until the end of days. The dead who have passed on are still alive within the confines of the congregation, and those destined to be born are already alive within its jurisdiction. End quote. Thus, on Yom Kippur, a high priest can confess on behalf of Israel because at that point, all Israel, past, present, and future, is one. All Israel is joined in metaphysical union. This is at least in part why the ritual of atonement performed in the temple in Jerusalem on this day was a singularly spiritual high point of the Jewish year, brought to life in what is known now as the Avodah, the service, which is the name of the liturgy recited for centuries in synagogue on Yom Kippur. The Avodah describes in great detail all that the high priest did in the temple on this day. And it tells us that when the high priest would confess over the goat of Azazel on behalf of all Israel, he would cite Leviticus 16.30, For on that day shall he make an atonement for you, to purify you, that ye may be pure from all your sins before the Lord. But the high priest would not say, before the Lord. God's ineffable appellation would be uttered. And the Avodah liturgy informs us of what would happen next. And the priests and the people that stood in the temple courtyard, when they heard the great and awesome name of God, would kneel, bow, and confess, fall on their faces, and say, Blessed is God's sovereign name forever and ever. At this moment, ladies and gentlemen, high priest and Israel are united in mystical communion. Leviticus 16 is the biblical formula for Israel's forgiveness forever. Thus the chapter concludes. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And this verse inspires an obvious question. If this is the biblically required ritual for Israel's annual atonement, then what is the Jewish people to do when it lacks a temple? The answer, in part, is that when we are unable to experience the Yom Kippur temple service in the present, we as Jews transport ourselves back in time and re-experience it in the past and we thereby also revive our faith that we will one day re-experience it again in the future. This was expressed by Menachem Begin, an extraordinary eulogy for the Jewish community of his hometown, men, women, and children that were murdered by the Nazis. Begin was born in a city now in Belarusia, known today as Brest, but to Yiddish-speaking Jews it was always known as Brisk. The rabbis of Brisk for generations were members of the Soloveitchik family. Begin's speech is thus particularly poignant to me, and while it's most powerful in Hebrew, I am proud that it was translated and published in Mosaic by my Strauss Center colleague Neil Rogachevsky and my student Michael Weiner. Begin, describing his memories of the great synagogue of Brisk, said in his eulogy as follows, quote, And on the afternoon of Yom Kippur, when all were fasting and in prayer shawls, not many remained within the walls of the synagogue, but those who stayed studied intensely the Avodah, and my father would insist that especially during the recitation of the Avodah, 
one should stay and pray, since perhaps the holiness of this prayer equaled the holiness of all the holy prayers of the rest of the year. And the voice of the cantor blended with those of the singers, and the priests and the people standing in the courtyard when they heard the ineffable name leave the lips of the high priest in holiness and purity, would prostrate themselves and fall on their faces and say, Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. End quote. Those together in the synagogue sang those words, big and remembered, as if the ancient temple services happened yesterday. The Jewish people on Yom Kippur not only refused to forget Jerusalem, not only refused to give up on the future of Jerusalem, on Yom Kippur they actually traveled back in time to ancient Jerusalem and re-experienced the ritual of Leviticus 16 performed in Jerusalem. What is true of the Jewish connection to the temple of the past is also true on the Day of Atonement for the Jewish joining of generations throughout its history. The Yom Kippur liturgy, called Kol Nidre, begins by describing the bond between the Yeshiva Shalmala and the Yeshiva Shalmata, Jews in this world and in the next. And this connection can be profoundly felt. In the early 1940s, before arriving in the Holy Land, Begin found himself in a Soviet prison known as Lukishki. He writes in his prison memoir, describing Yom Kippur in his cell, as follows, quote, I wondered where I would be the next day of atonement. Where would my old father and mother be, and my brother and sister? And as the brain had no answer, the fearful heart replied with prayer. As I recited the words sanctified from generation to generations, as I prayed silently, I felt the impenetrable barriers that separated me and those I loved fall away. And Bacon further writes by describing that the cell vanished, the walls disappeared, and there appeared in all its splendor the great illuminated synagogue and my father's humble dwelling, lit up by love, purity, faith, and the eyes of a loving mother. Kol Nidre in an NKVD prison, Yom Kippur in Lukishki. Even such a night can be a night of solace. Even such a day can be a day of identification with all that is good in man's life. End quote. Begin was right to worry about his family, for in the summer of that year the Nazis had conquered his hometown and murdered his parents and his brother. By 1942, the Jewish community of Brisk, the community of the Soloveitchik family, the community of the Begin family, a source of pride to Lithuanian Jewry for centuries, was gone. But not entirely gone. Because as Begin discovered in prison, at moments when hope seems lost, one can still be sustained by the ever-present past. And the prayers, as Begin put it, sanctified by generations, can for a moment, bring back murdered parents who taught him to say the Avodah and murdered Jews who prayed with him in Brisk on Yom Kippur. And these prayers can also bring back Jews who stood on a mountaintop millennia ago, hearing the high priest pronounce the name of God. Begin concluded his eulogy for his brethren in Brisk by stressing that if Jews ultimately returned to Jerusalem, it was in the merit of the generations of Jews that came before those that lived in places like Brisk and refused to forget Jerusalem, who actually, in a certain sense, traveled back to Jerusalem, whose physical feet were on the soil of Eastern Europe and other locations in the diaspora, but whose souls sojourned to the Holy Land on Yom Kippur, so that all that was written in Leviticus 16 lived again. Begin concluded his eulogy, his elegy, with these words, quote, and the priests and the people standing in the courtyard of the temple, as if it were the day before yesterday. It is in our spirit. 
Gratitude to our fathers, gratitude for their love of the land of Israel, gratitude for their prayers, gratitude for their faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even though he may tarry, I nevertheless await him. Our parents did not have the opportunity, but their children after them conquered the beginning of redemption. And so with love of Israel, with love for the land of Israel and for Jerusalem, we will sanctify their scattered ashes, elevate their souls in holiness and purity, and carry in our hearts the memory of their love from generation to generation, end quote. We are obligated, Begin taught modern Israel and the entire Jewish people, to never forget our past. Yom Kippur is atonement made manifest through the metaphysical unity of the Jews, and it thereby reminds us to be united throughout our lives with those that came before. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week, signing off.